0: Whatever issues you are facing, however difficult and hard they may be, hold on to the promise. The virgin will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, for God Himself is with us. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning, we are beginning a series of studies in Matthew's gospel for this Advent season, and if you have your Bible with you, could you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 1, as we're reading verse 18 to the end of the chapter at verse 24, and you'll find it on page 1497, page 1497 of the church Bible. And Matthew writes these words, Matthew 1 at verse 18. took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name, Jesus. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. As we get further into this season of Advent, I wanted to begin with a question this morning. The question is fairly straightforward and relatively easy to answer, and it's this. What is the worst Christmas present you have ever received? A few years back, Time magazine published a list from readers of the worst Christmas presents ever. At the top of that list was a letter from a daughter-in-law who said this, each year my mother-in-law buys for her other daughter-in-law, a very expensive perfume, and she gives to me the free gift that comes with the expensive perfume. (laughs) Now, once you think, well, maybe it's a misunderstanding, it's just a mistake, year after year after year, next on the list was a wife who said, "'My husband last year bought for me a waffle iron.'" You think, well, that's not too bad if a husband and wife on a Saturday morning have a little more time to make themselves some waffles and sit back and enjoy it with coffee and chit-chat. That seems a reasonable present. came from her husband. She doesn't like waffles, and he loves waffles. (laughs) When he was shopping, he was shopping not for his wife but for himself, a husband this time, said his wife gave him a manila file. That was it, just a manila file. And you think, well, maybe there's a card inside, a gift card, or, honey, this is a weekend away for us. It was empty. And if you ever receive such a gift, you begin to think, okay, what is going on? Because there are few things more distasteful than a thoughtless gift, because we know it's the person behind the gift that usually makes the gift itself. We know that. Parents and grandparents, how often has a child or a grandchild given you something for Christmas that they drew themselves and made into a Christmas card, and it's covered with hearts, and they've spelt your name, and they've signed it badly, and the color is all over the place, but you love it because you know who it comes from. And they have put all the thought and care and preparation in the world into this gift. And it goes onto the fridge door, and it sits there for years. And then you take it down and you put it in a special drawer so you can keep it. It's the love behind the gift that really, really matters. That's what makes the gift. This morning as we make our way into Matthew chapter 1, The story focuses on Mary, but more intentionally on Joseph. Joseph had no earthly idea what was taking place. The gift that Joseph was about to be given seemed for him the most inappropriate, the worst gift in the world. And yet it turned out to be the most spectacular priceless of all gifts. But in those early moments, Joseph had no comprehension and no appreciation of what was taking place. Now, hold that thought for a minute, and let's further explore Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 1 is a little like picking up and holding for the first time a priceless antique— The more you hold it up, the more closely you examine it from different angles, you begin to realize the value of what you have. That's Matthew chapter 1. And if I was to ask you this morning to write a gospel, where would you begin? What would you say? People who write often will tell you that it's those opening words on the page that capture the reader's attention and draws you right in. And it begins with excitement and enigma, sometimes mystery, and you think, who is doing what to whom and why? And before you know it, you're drawn in. And if you were to write, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And if you began your gospel with those words, what a spectacular way to begin you've got your reader's attention immediately. How can this be? How can she possibly be having a child? What was Joseph thinking? What a great way to begin. The only problem with that scenario is this. That is not how Matthew begins his gospel. If you jump back to chapter 1, verse 1, not verse 18, What you have here are these words, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab. And each time we come to Matthew's gospel, and you begin at chapter 1, you kind of look down and say, okay, that's the list, and you jump over because you want to see what's going on in the actual gospel. And we're tempted to think, why on earth would someone begin a gospel with 51 names? And then you think, well, maybe Matthew was brought up in the south, maybe. Because when people from the South get together for the first time, the first 10 minutes are establishing your pedigree. Where did you go to college? Who do you have in common? Where was your parents brought up? And as I watch the interaction going on, inevitably it goes something like this, oh yes, ah, I think your brother's wife shared a flat with my sister-in-law when they were at college in 1976 to 1979. Does that sound about right? Oh yes, that's them. Matthew has a list of 51 names. Some were kings. Some were shepherds, merchants, military leaders, governors, carpenters. Some were Jewish. Some were Gentile. Some were male. Some were female. Some were famous. Some were infamous. But this is not a list of the American idol of its day. This is not a list of Time Magazine's Who's Who, or Man or Woman of the Year. Matthew begins with a list of people because he is telling us this that these are real people who lived real lives in real places, and God was truly and really at work in their lives. We are tempted to read this list and think this is a list of the instantly forgettable, the seemingly insignificant. And when he finishes that list of the seemingly insignificant, he then begins, his mother Mary was pledged to be a man, to a man called Joseph. Let me ask you to use your imagination for a second. And imagine this morning we had right here in the chancel area, a manger scene, right in the center, of course, and rightly so would be the baby Jesus in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, surrounded by hay. Mary would be sitting immediately close by. Over on this side, you would have the shepherds, perhaps. You may have a dad and a couple of men, and maybe a little boy shepherd with a lamb, maybe a lamb round one of the shepherd's necks, the donkey over here, symbolizing, of course, the journey to Bethlehem. Then over on this side, as you take a closer look, who are you going to find? you're going to find three kings, stately and regal. The nobility of ancient Persia would be right there. Behind them, of course, would be a camel, and they would all be focused on the Christ child. And the person missing is Joseph. He's usually relegated to somewhere in the shadows, the quiet man of Christmas just standing, watching. And yet, Matthew mentions Joseph more than Mary. Luke mentions Mary again and again and again, and it's wonderful and spectacular to see. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to play one against the other, but simply to say, Joseph has a great deal to teach us. Now, having said all of that, let me ask you this. Matthew begins with his list of the seemingly insignificant, and he then immediately goes on to mention Joseph. Imagine in your mind what Joseph was going through as this passage unfolds. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. what was going through Joseph's mind? Because the problem here is this, that Joseph has fallen in love. That's the problem. Joseph has fallen in love. If he didn't love Mary, it wouldn't be an issue, but he'd fallen in love. Gentlemen, let me ask you, you remember what that was like? Do you remember looking at the girl you had fallen in love with? (sighs) And just a glance from her, your whole life lit up. Just the way she smiled. She didn't have to say a thing. Just the way she smiled. And when your eyes met you were utterly infatuated. Not just the way she smiled, the way she, the way she combed her hair, the clothes she wore, the way she spoke. When you weren't with her, you couldn't stop thinking about her, couldn't wait till the next time you were together and you've heard me say this multiple times, gentlemen, that's how we feel when we fall in love with the ladies in our lives. Joseph was in love. And then Mary says to him, we need to talk. Now, when Ruth says to me, we need to talk, I usually have to find a seat (laughs) because it's not good And can you imagine how that conversation went, and what was going on in Joseph's mind? And he's thinking, I'm hearing, (laughs) I'm not hearing what I'm hearing. There's a mistake. She didn't really say that. (laughs) This cannot be happening. Mary expecting a baby? No, no this can't be true. We were to be married. I thought she loved me. A sense of betrayal? Absolutely. Denial? Of course. Heartbroken? Naturally. How does he even begin to process all of that? And from that initial misunderstanding, he moves then to anger, How could she do this? And then skepticism. Cynicism. Did He say to Mary, that's it? I will not speak to you till we sort this out and walk out? How was He processing that? Do you think He slept much that night? I doubt it. And I wonder if he got deeper and deeper and deeper in his imagination and eventually got to the place where he said in his own mind, how could she do this? And then she claims an angel was involved and the Holy Spirit was involved. How could she possibly do this and claim that it was God's blessing How utterly awful to take that which is sacred and use it for an excuse. How awful. That's exactly how I imagine that Joseph would respond. Then the passage tells us this. And it's one word which changed the whole thing in verse 20, and it begins… has a list of names, the purposes and plans of God were about to be fulfilled. God had been at work for generations after generations after generations, and in His sovereign, eternal decrees were coming to pass. And it's not just a list of names, because God never works in a theological or cultural vacuum. He had been preparing from eternity past to this very point when the Messiah was to be birthed. And now an angel comes to Joseph, and notice what the opening words are of the angel, Joseph, son of David. Why did he say that? Why those words? Joseph, others have walked this way before you. This is God's chosen path. This is His trusted route. God is at work in proven pathways, and Joseph, he has his hand upon you. And now, what was Joseph going to do? How was he going to respond now? And the next morning, when he woke up, he was a different man. His young adulthood was now behind him. He was now to be responsible for modeling family life for the Savior of the world. Can you imagine Joseph thinking? but, Father, there's been a mistake. (laughs) I'm a carpenter. I work with timber. If you want someone to dress up a four by two, if you want someone to hang a door, build a table and bench set, fix your stairs in your home, I can do all that. But to model manhood for the Savior of the world, (laughs) there's been a mistake. (laughs) You've you've come to the wrong house. Gabriel, it should have been (laughs) Levi next door. You should have gone to his house, not mine. Can you imagine, in utter incredulity, if he thought the first news was bad, good night, what was he going to do now? And I imagine Joseph coming in after a hard day and sitting down, (sighs) wanting to catch his breath and just shaking his head in awe and wonder, And reaching down and lifting God incarnate onto his knee and tickling his firstborn son and playing hide and go seek under the kitchen table, and Joseph, the construction worker was God's man for that day and for that hour. The seemingly insignificant, the instantly forgettable, God had His hand on His life. And no wonder the angel says, do not be afraid. Afraid? I'm not sure he ever had an unafraid day the rest of his life. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. And Joseph held him in his arms. Emmanuel, God with us. The value, the significance of the gift, was dawning on Joseph, and he realized that God in all of his redeeming love had given him this priceless gift, the Savior of the world, who would impact all of history. And Joseph held him in his arms as a wee boy. This week, As we get further and further into the Christmas season, as we are tempted to get caught up with the purchasing of gifts, and the putting up of the tree, and the decorating with the lights, and planning meals for Christmas Day, and Christmas parties, and all the events we will attend, please allow me to encourage you with all the passion I can, come back to Matthew chapter 1, spend time with Joseph. Read again the significance and the value of God's Word. Let it impact your life, and whatever issues you are facing, however difficult and hard they may be, hold on to the promise. The virgin will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel for God Himself is with us. He didn't send an iPhone 7. He didn't give an empty manila folder. He didn't give us a free gift. He gave us His Son. And in Him, we can depend. Amen? Amen. Let us pray together. Father, thank You for the indescribable gift of this Advent season. Thank You that Christ came into this world, that He would come to know us, to touch and transform our very souls, to lavish His love upon us, and to draw us into a living relationship with You. Father, take us into this week with hearts rejoicing and a deep, profound dependency on you, the living God. Father, hear our prayers, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Come experience the joy and wonder of the birth of Christ as we worship together Christmas Eve at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Service times are 5, 7, and 11 p.m. More details at firstpresgreenville.org.